To our new passengers, aloha and welcome. As you board, please move across your car to make room for everyone, and kindly offer available seating to those needing special assistance. The show will begin momentarily. Thank you. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Welcome to Dave's Disney View Podcast, provided on our own version of the information highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking please. Thank you. Dave's Disney View is a look at the Walt Disney World Resort and sometimes beyond, as seen through the eyes of Dave, a frequent visitor, a one-time cast member, and an engineer who simply enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. Now, please keep your party together and put on your virtual mouse ears. And by all means, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's Dave again with another Dave's Disney View podcast. Well, it seems to me I haven't done a question and answer session in quite some time now. I've let the uh, questions pile up a little bit. I've answered a few on email, and I'd like to circle around to doing some of them on a podcast again. So if you do have questions, please do feel free to email me at davesdisneyview at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to uh, take on your questions about Disney World, Disney planning, anything that uh, may interest you around the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. So we start off with a question from a guy named Mitch, who says, We have an upcoming trip in May, and I need to book a character meal. Our son is six and has high-functioning autism. He doesn't have an issue with eating, but he tends to get overstimulated very easily. And we also have a daughter who's 17 months old. Last time we booked the Hollywood and Vine with the Little Einsteins and uh, Oso, Special Agent Oso, that is, and my son loved it. Uh, I only want to do one character meal, a reserve table service, because honestly, we don't know what we'll do from day to day, and I don't want to tie us down, especially with the new dining policy. We'll have a rental car, so transportation isn't an issue, so I'm thinking, what about Ohana for breakfast or the Garden Grill at uh, Epcot for dinner? Maybe the Crystal Palace, even though we're not Winnie the Pooh fans. Uh, Chef Mickey's probably is too busy for us. The Tusker House. Any other suggestions? And the second part of the question is, how far in advance should I make my reservations, and should I be planning a little more heavily? Okay, so the question is pretty good, and uh, I'd like to try to take a perspective, and this is mainly my perspective, and I know your mileage may vary based on what kind of resort options you like to have, how you like to attack Disney, because I know some people like to heavily plan, and I'm okay with that. Uh, clearly, Mitch here is not as much into planning as, as some people are. He's more like me in that sense, where you try to plan one or maybe two dining experiences and kind of go with the flow the rest of the time. That's how I personally prefer to do it. So let's attack the second part of the question first. Most reservations can be made about 180 days in advance, so if you really want to plan, you could start planning as, as early as 180 days in advance. Now, some of the more popular destinations, like, say, Cinderella's Royal Table, need to be booked at that 180-day limit. Other locations you can certainly book up to uh, the day before, in fact, or even the same day in some cases. And it also depends on the time of year. Uh, so if you want to try to get into the planning aspect, you want to try to do that as early as you can. Now, if you want to try to plan your days a little bit, uh, sometimes what I will do is go ahead and book maybe one reservation at one location, and then for later in the day, maybe that's for breakfast, and then for lunch, I'll book another location. 
And as the day grows, grows closer, maybe a few days before, a week before, two weeks before, something like that, I'll make a determination about which one I'm going to use and go ahead and cancel the other one. I try to be polite and cancel the one that I'm not going to use. But I will sometimes make two if I think that there's a chance that I might be in one park over another. So like maybe I'll book something over in uh, the studios or in Epcot, um, and then I'll book another one in the Magic Kingdom if I think I might be there. And as we get closer and we start actually thinking about which park we want to go to, I might go ahead and uh, cancel one of the other ones. So the, the, for me, that's the way it works. And I know other people do, do it differently. And I also like to think about uh, where I want to dine. You know, what kind of characters do I want to dine with? Is it a special, a special type of character I want to dine with? What are my kids' favorites? What are they like? What are they drawn to when they look at the Disney Channel or one of the other Disney products? What kind of uh, characters are they drawn to? Now, of course, everybody's kind of drawn to Mickey in some way, so Mickey's an easy one to kind of get there, or the Fab Five, I guess. So you might want to try to think about uh, planning some time with those characters. There's also a consideration for what time of day you'd like to eat. Now, breakfast, I love uh, character breakfasts. They seem to work really well for me because you kind of fuel up early in the day and then are able to go out and do some different things. And because I tend to plan my vacations a little differently, uh, sometimes I'll just plan a uh, dining, you know, dining day for like the last day before I leave and have a late breakfast, and that'll kind of fuel me up for the day. Other days I may go ahead and have a late breakfast anyway. What I find is the later the seating goes, the better off you are in terms of having more time to kind of sit and relax and fewer people around. So if you uh, happen to book an 11 a.m. Uh, reservation, you're in good shape because the characters will still be there and wandering around. They're starting to shut down the restaurant, but you still have plenty of time to eat. I also like lunch over dinner, and the main reason for lunch over dinner is because the food is just as plentiful, but it's less expensive. And again, if you book a later meal, you have an easier time trying to get through and relax and enjoy it before the uh, dinner rush starts. On the other hand, if you book an early lunch, you sometimes have the ability to get some of the breakfast items while they're still out. So that's kind of cool, too. It actually works out pretty well. You get a little bit of everything in that case. So with those considerations, you want to think about what places work for you, which of the characters are there and what's there. I always go to the uh, allears.net dining menu to go look at who's, who's where and what's going on. Um, as your daughter gets her older, she'll probably want more girl-oriented things, I would guess. But in the meantime, you can kind of enjoy some of the other things that are available. Now, one of the places that I like is a little bit lesser known, and that's the Cape May Cafe over at the uh, beach resort. And in that location, you get uh, Minnie, Chippendale, and Pluto, typically. And the food is very much like what you get at the uh, Chef Mickey's restaurant. So if you go in there, you get something similar, but it's a little bit more intimate, not quite as big and grand, and you get to kind of relax and enjoy it a little more. So I guess in answer to your question, that would be my best recommendation. Now, another thing to consider when you're thinking about uh, the dining plan is if you're going to sit down for a character meal, is it a buffet or is it a uh, family-style dining? I don't personally like the family-style dining. They bring a a big bowl or plate of food to your table, and it's got the variety of foods that they're offering at that location. So, you know, if you're a person who doesn't eat meat, for example, you could say no meats in there, and they'll bring you eggs and the uh, breads and waffles and whatever. But it seems like it's lacking in some way. It just doesn't have that same variety and that same substance that some of the buffet restaurants have. So you want to be on the lookout for that at some of the locations. Some change from time to time. Uh, For example, the Lilo and Stitch uh, place over at Ohana is actually a family-style dining. So if that doesn't appeal to you, it's probably not a good choice. 
But, you know, there really is no wrong answer to this. It's really just a question of which one do you really like, what characters do you like, and what's the right setting there. You can always call the uh, Disney Central Reservation Office and uh, go to the dining plan option, and you can uh, talk to people about how big the restaurant is and so forth. And, of course, there are pictures and reviews all over the web, so you can go check out any one of them. So that would be my take on it, and uh, I hope you have a great trip and that your son has a really good time and doesn't get overstimulated and you get plenty to eat. Next question comes from Stacy. I'm going to be in Orlando for a few days and can only visit one park. Our group is going to Epcot, but there is nothing I like more than popcorn at the Magic Kingdom. It's my go-to snack every time I go there, and it's kind of a silly question, but is there popcorn at Epcot too? It would kill me if uh, well, well, to be at Walt Disney World and not have my favorite snack. Thanks. Well, you're in luck. You can find the Disney-style popcorn all over Epcot. You'll find it over near the Electric Umbrella. Uh, there's a couple of places uh, over by the Imagination Pavilion. And then at several locations around World Showcase, you'll find it. For example, at the American Adventure, there's a popcorn cart right out front. There are a couple of other places as well, but you can't miss it. The aroma will draw you right in. And I agree with you. The popcorn at Disney is really something special. It's different, and you really can't get it anywhere else. And the thing is that I found a recipe that I think works pretty well, and it gives you a close facsimile at home. What you want to do is take a pot and uh, put the pot on the stove and heat up some oil in there. But it's not just any oil you're going to heat up. What you want is a blend of coconut oil. And this actually comes from the, uh, from the coconut uh, plant, and it's actually uh, in a solid form that you would start to melt down in the, in the pot. And you can actually get it from uh, on several online sources. I think Amazon has it, for example. And you can go out there and, uh, and get, a, get a little bit. Um, it comes in a, a container, and you can just put a little bit in there. You want a blend of that and some canola oil or another vegetable oil that you like. And you want to pop your popcorn, and you want a nice popcorn. So you want like an Orville Redenbacher's. The one they use at Disney is a very special blend of the Orville Redenbacher's that actually has um, very big kernels that pop up very nicely. It's a, it's a specialty blend. But you want to get something similar to that. Uh, it's uh, more the gourmet style that you want that give you the really big fluffy kernels. So you want to put those in there, and you want to cover your pot and cook it over you know, something like medium heat for you know, 10 or 15 minutes until it starts to pop, pop. Just remember to move your pot around so you don't burn it. You'll get a nice tasting popcorn that comes out of that. Then what you want to do is you want to put some of this movie theater salt on, stop, on top of it. And you can get uh, movie theater salt a lot of different places. I think even Orville Weddenbacher has one that they make. Uh, there's a couple available at the grocery stores and so forth. You might be able to find out where your local movie theater procures it. It's sort of an orangish-yellowish in color, and it actually gives a little color to the popcorn when you, uh, when you put the salt on it. There's a product out there called Flavacol that's uh, pretty close. I think it might even be the one that Disney uses. And you want to try and get a little bit of that on there. So between that spice, uh, the, salty, the saltiness of that that's got the, uh, the special blend in it, plus the coconut oil, you're going to get something that's pretty close to Disney popcorn. So you might want to try it out at home. It's, it's kind of fun, and it's something you can do. Just be careful not to burn your house down, and don't let the, uh, don't let the popcorn burn on your uh, stove. And if you're not comfortable with it, then, of course, just pick it up at your uh, next trip to Disney. So you are, I hope you have a great time and enjoy your popcorn at Epcot. Someone named Paula asks, I want to buy theme park tickets for my visit. Where can I get them? Are there discounts? Should I go to one of the places I see online, or for that matter, to a place I see around Lake Buena Vista or Kissimmee? Okay, that's a really good question, and it's, there's a couple things to consider here. Number one is, on any Disney ticket, it says not transferable. 
it's issued to you, and Disney can revoke the ticket and refuse you entry if you're using someone else's ticket and they discover it. Remember, there's the uh, finger scan. It's a biometric scan that they use when you go into the parks. So if you're using someone else's ticket, that could be a problem. So kind of keep that in mind. Now, as far as the vendors that you see around Orlando, there's two types of vendors. There are the ones who are completely illegal and, you know, don't follow the rules and actually buy people's tickets and resell them. And that's totally violating the rules. And Disney chases them down as often as they can. It's challenging because they move locations or they do different things uh, to try and uh, circumvent the rules as much as they can. The other type is, are the people that sell something along with those tickets. So they're going to sell you a discounted ticket as a result of you having gone to a timeshare, for example. Sit through a presentation and they'll either give you a pair of tickets or sell them, you, sell them to you at a deeply discounted price. So be aware that that's the case. If you're okay with sitting through a presentation, whatever it may be, uh, that's fine. If you have to buy tickets to something else, I'd always be wary because they're offering you something to go along with it. Now, there are some slightly discounted tickets that are available through authorized resellers. Uh, So you might want to check around there, uh, check around the web and look for some of them. A lot of the major Disney-related sites have affiliations with these uh, various resellers, so you can check with them, certainly. Um, I'd always check with Mouse Savers. Mouse Savers gives you the greatest discounts available and where to get them, so that's always a choice, uh, an option for you. The person who runs the site really does a good job of keeping track of all of those things, so you want to check that out and see if there's anything out there. It's uh, mousesavers.com. So I'd uh, be wary of all the uh, the locations that are along, uh, you know, the I-4 corridor, you know, along um, the Disney property just outside, maybe in Kissimmee and on 192, because there you never know what you're going to get exactly, and who knows if the tickets are going to work. Of course, you may see tickets on eBay as well, and Disney will try and shut those down as often as they can, uh, because they're not available for resale. But uh, there are some people who will do unscrupulous things and sell tickets like that as well. I didn't use the rest of my vacation and so forth. So you want to be careful of that. What I always suggest uh, instead, and a friend of mine was asking me about this just the other day. She was thinking about coming down, and she was trying to look at the value of tickets, and she goes, well, what should I buy? I said, well, here's an option for you. Uh, you buy whatever length of ticket you want, and the price always goes down as you uh, look at the, at the length of the ticket. So they sell it in one, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, and ten-day packages. So you buy a ticket that's like that, or you buy the annual pass. And as you're buying the length of ticket, the price per day actually goes down. So if you buy a 10-day ticket, it's actually your best value. The challenge is that if you're not going to use all of the days on your visit, you're going to need to buy no expiration to go along with it. So that way, you can take the tickets with you uh, and bring them back another time and use the rest of the tickets. It costs about, I think it's about $27 per day to add the no expiration option. And even if you use those days on this trip and added the no expiration, they add it to the entire price of the ticket. So it would be an additional $270 if you're looking at a 10-day ticket. So when you're looking at the prices, you kind of got to consider that in there. But overall, it's still a better value to buy the longer ticket and just hold on to them. So if you're planning on going for maybe two days this time and two days the next time you come, you might want to buy a four-day pass with no expiration on it. It's a good way to kind of manage your money a little bit differently. And then the next time, you can hold on to the ticket and get a little bit uh, less. You you pay less the next time because you don't have to buy the, the theme park tickets. Now, of course, the other options you have available to you as far as buying tickets are to go ahead and buy a package through Disney where you get the uh, resort, the dining plan, and the park tickets all in one package. Of course, the value on that kind of varies a little bit depending on what time of year you're coming and how long you're staying and which type of resort you're going to stay in. 
But overall, if you're going to be taking advantage of the dining plan and be having three meals a day and going and staying at the resorts and want to take in the resorts and want to be able to go and to come and go from the parks as often as you like, that's a really good value and a good way to do it uh, and make sure that you get all your value out of it. So that's uh, kind of my take on it. It's, uh, it's a way to kind of think about the pricing of tickets and how to get them. And uh, just be aware that you, know, you can find discounts occasionally from reputable sellers. They're not great discounts. Disney tries to manage its prices as much as they can, but once in a while you can find a discount on on ticket prices. If you happen to be a Florida resident or a neighbor of Florida, where once in a while they will offer a uh, special pass for you at a special price, there's a good opportunity for you to be able to get something uh, a little bit better value than you might have gotten otherwise. So just kind of keep those things in mind as as you're planning your trip and thinking about it. And of course, if anyone has a specific question about that, feel free to ask me. I'd be happy to answer it for you. Ashley writes, we're planning a trip in late August after most of the schools are back in session. My husband, eight-year-old son, and I had been twice before as a family, uh, but now we're throwing our almost two-year-old in August into the mix, and she's a little scared. Uh, we plan on going to the first, uh, first Islands of Adventure in Universal Studios for two days, uh, and then taking a cab or something and probably stay at the All-Stars or, or Pop Century Resort for about six days. I'm an Uber planner. I read all the guides, but I'm a fish out of water with the whole toddler thing. Would you suggest getting the Disney with kids type of guide? Or are those pretty pointless? Any sites you can point out? Any great tips? Please help. I'm clueless, and I want to give my family a great trip. Okay, first off, the Disney with Kids book is great. It's a great way to kind of have a companion with you to help you to understand what to do with kids and how to handle them. And remember, more importantly than that, kids need to have a little structure in their day. And if you're a structured person, that's kind of easy to do. You want to plan out a time when you can have nap time, and you want to plan out a time when you can do different things where you're kind of separated away from the crowd and they don't get overstimulated. Remember that they may need extra liquid, uh, especially on a hot day, to try and cool off a little bit, especially if you're from a place where it's a little colder. So keep that in mind as you start to think about your, your planning. Now, if you're a hyper planner, that's fine. You can still plan for everything and and work around it. You just have to allow for a little bit of flexibility given that your kids may get a little tired throughout the course of the day. Now, another thing to keep in mind, each of the Disney parks has a baby care station. And the baby care stations are a nice respite from the heat, from the activity, from everything else. You can go into any one of them, each of the four theme parks, And you go in and there's a little room in the back where you have a baby changing station. You have some little bathrooms for the little ones. You have um, some quiet play area. There's a couple of toys in there. They're running a Disney movie on the TV. They'll sell you a couple of other little um, things you may need, like some formula or something if you need it, Um, diapers and whatever. So you have the opportunity to kind of go in there and relax and take a little time away where they get an opportunity to just kind of uh, chill out a little bit. And it may help you a little bit, too, to just de-stress and go in there. I find I found when my kids were really little, it was really nice just to kind of walk in there for a few minutes, let them crawl around on the floor, just kind of get out and be away from the hustle and bustle of the theme park. You also don't want to push yourself really hard in the parks. So as you're going through, you don't want to go commando and try to get to every attraction and do everything. You want to try and take your time and take it a little leisurely. Take it at their pace to a large degree. So you want to try to get around to as much as you can, but realize that you're not going to be able to see everything that you would have seen without them. There's also the baby swap that's available on most attractions. If you ask a cast member at the uh, entrance to the attraction, they'll direct you what to do. Typically what you do is you stand in line with all of you, and as you get up to the load area for it, one of the adults will ride the attraction while the other one holds the baby. 
when they come back, you'll switch, and the uh, other adult will take the baby, and the, uh, this, the first one will go ahead and ride. So you get an opportunity for both of you to ride, but not necessarily together, or you can ride with your other child. So that's actually kind of fun and a nice way to spend some time and uh, be able to kind of enjoy the line together and not have to be removed, because sometimes you think about you don't want to you don't want to leave them and let them go in line for 45 minutes while you're doing something else. Hey, I'm not a thrill ride seeker, but I still love to stand in a lot of the queues because many of the queues are a lot of fun, and it's just fun to stand there. Plus, for that 45-ish minutes that I'm standing in line, I can interact with the rest of my family. So it's kind of fun to just stand there and have some have a little fun with it, and then just take the chicken exit. When you walk up to the cast member who's doing the load, you go, where's the chicken exit? And they'll direct you how to get out of there. And there's no shame in that, believe me. They'll actually laugh most of the time. So I would say just take it at their pace, but take the book. Take, it, take the time to read it in advance and learn a little bit about the strategies and some of the things that you do. One other tip I'll give you. If you're planning on coming in from out of town and you're planning on renting strollers from Disney, it may be a better idea to go ahead and either buy a stroller while you're there, send a stroller down uh, ahead of yourself, or take a stroller with you. And the reason is, once you're down there and you've got the stroller, it's nice to be able to go from your hotel to the monorail to the bus to the entrance to the theme park rather than having to get all the way there and then get the, uh, the stroller once you get into the park. And on the other side, when the children are tired, it's much easier to take the stroller with you out of the park and be able to get back to your hotel easily, whether you're taking the monorail or the bus. So you might want to take a, a, a stroller with you in, in that way Plus, it's a little more familiar, and uh, the child may be a little more comfortable in this type of stroller that you use. Remember that the Disney strollers, strollers are these hard plastic ones that maybe are not the most comfortable, and they're hard to recline in and sleep in. And the great part about some of these strollers is there's an opportunity to sleep in them. So you can go to a quiet part of the park and just kind of lay, lay it back and let them go to sleep for a little while. The little ones sometimes will do that for you, which is kind of fun, and it makes life a little bit easier on you when they catch a nap. Of course, one other strategy that I've seen employed, I haven't used it myself. I'll be honest with you, this hasn't worked for me because the way my kids like to go through the parks, we usually get there late and it kind of works out for us, um, is to actually leave the park. Go back to your resort early in the afternoon, spend a little time at the resort, maybe go in the pool, have a little like lunch there, and go back to the room and maybe take a nap, and then head back into the park later. Remember, if you're getting to the park early in the day and you're staying till about lunchtime, the heat of the day is going to be coming on around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you can get out of the park for a little while, for maybe an hour or two, uh, around 1 or 2 o'clock, you're in better shape and then come back in the park later uh, when it's just a little bit cooler and you can kind of enjoy the hotel and its amenities for a little while and you know maybe get a little break from the park and that might help you just a little bit with your strategy as well with the kids. So that's my take on it and I hope that works out for you. Okay, Kyle writes in and asks, is it hard for an odd number of family members? How is it going to be for a family of five? Some rides only seat two and, some, and there are five of us. Did some have to sit alone or there are a few rides that you can fit three across and my, um, since my boys are small? Um, is it bad? Is it not bad? What's it like? Well, Kyle, I come from a family of five as well. I've got three kids, and what I find is that most of the time we start chatting when we're in line. We'll start talking about who's going to ride with who. So, you know, my youngest wants to ride with me this time, my oldest wants to ride with me the next time, and we'll make deals as we're standing in line, and there's actually a little bit of fun that goes along with this because you can start kind of having, you know, interacting with your family a little bit. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll be standing in the line and we'll make a decision as we're in line that we want to ride it twice in a row. The first time I'm going to ride with these kids, and the next time I'm going to ride with with my wife, and the next time I'm going to ride with another one, and whatever. You know, we kind of make deals about who's going to ride with who. 
It's especially fun when you're doing a ride, say like Buzz Lightyear. We, we wind up going on Buzz Lightyear's uh, Space Ranger spin, you know, five or six times on every trip. And we do different combinations of people because, you know, you have the, uh, the, the two guns in there uh, that shoot, but you also have the, uh, the, the joystick that revolves you around. And it's kind of fun to interact with each of the kids at different times to, uh, to see who gets to, who gets to control it that way. And then uh, you see who gets the high score over the course of the whole trip, and that is actually kind of fun. So you can kind of combine all your scores and then see who did the best. And you can have a little fun with it and then be interactive and do different things. And yes, a lot of the attractions really only do seat either two or three, and depending on the size of the person, it could be just two. You kind of look at the, uh, the picture of, well, what do I want to do in this case? I want to ride with Joey or Timmy or Billy or whoever, and you make a determination as you're going through the queue, and then uh, maybe you make a deal so the next time you're going to ride with someone else. Now, I know that on some of the attractions, like the uh, ones with the boats, like the Pirates of the Caribbean, you can sit all five people across, typically. So that actually works out kind of well, because then you can, you can all sit in the same row, though you may still argue about who gets to sit next to who. And uh, it's kind of, kind of interesting. And once in a while, because the attractions only seat two, so Buzz Lightyear is another example, one of us has to ride by themselves. And it's actually kind of fun sometimes to figure out who's going to ride by themselves this time. Because it, it actually, we make it to be kind of fun, and you get to have an experience on your own where you get to try and get the high score. You get to try and see whatever, and you try to get them engaged in some way where they're looking for something or doing something, and how do they get to see it. And it's kind of fun to, to mix and match a little bit and do that that way. And I find that it works out pretty well. My kids actually enjoy going, and they, they like the uh, kind of the novelty aspect of it all. Even though we've been there many times now, they enjoy trying to figure out who gets to ride with who and what we get to do and how we're going to manage it this time around because every time's a little different, and sometimes you know one of them wants a little more attention and sometimes another one does. And sometimes my uh, I'll just let my two boys, who are a little bit older, uh, ride together by themselves, which is kind of fun. It's always interesting in my mind. I'm going, wow, they're letting them go by themselves, even though they were in the car in front of me. Uh, it's interesting just to kind of see how they react and interact with the ride and with each other. So I hope you take it and just have fun with it. Just let your kids kind of dictate how you're going to do it. And sometimes, you know, you can do something special for them. You know, you because you rode, you know, by yourself or you rode with dad this time and you wanted to ride with mom, the next time you get to pick which attraction we're going on and, and who's going to ride with you. So it's kind of fun. and You can make it a real, uh, real fun experience, and I hope you enjoy it. Oh, and by the way, one other thing about me personally I don't ride all the attractions. I don't like thrill rides, and my older son is kind of like me. But my younger son really enjoys them, and my daughter's not old enough to ride most of them yet, though I think she's going to enjoy them as well. So the three of us go off and do something else, while my wife and my middle son enjoy themselves just riding whatever attractions they want. They want to go ride Space Mountain? Hey, all more power to them. That's great. And we'll go do something else. So it kind of works out in some ways where you get to have a little fun and maybe just uh, separate out a little bit once in a while as well. All right, next up is um, a guy named Jim who says, I was looking at a picture of a trip I took from the early 1990s. In the lower right-hand corner in front of Spaceship Earth is what appears to be a large Donald Duck. Do you have any idea what this could be? And I don't remember anything about it. Now, I'm going to put a link to this picture uh, on my website. Uh, if you go to DisneyPodcast.net and look at the show notes, you'll see the picture. But what this was was a show called Surprise in the Skies that ran in the early 1990s. 
So they had the acrobatic planes that were flying along, and they had the uh, colored smoke flying out the back. And they'd go along and make do different aerial stunts and have the pattern behind them, and the smoke was coming out. It was all kind of exciting. And they had a, I believe they had a water uh, show that was going on as well. Uh, in the lagoon where they had different things happening, so there was a little bit of excitement happening on the whole thing, music playing and everything. And as the show ended, each one of the uh, countries had like a giant, almost like a jack-in-the-box that was sitting in front of it. And as the show ended, it popped up to be one of the characters. So there was Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Goofy and Pluto, um, probably Chip and Dale as well. Uh, and they would pop up in each one of these little boxes, or actually they were big boxes, and they would have the giant head there, and it was supposed to be like an interactive type thing where it was kind of fun, and it became uh, something larger than life. And it was kind of a fun show. It was very 90s-esque in a sense, but that's the show you're thinking of, and I hope that helped. Okay, here's a really good question that uh, Jen asks. My husband and I have been having an ongoing debate since our last trip a year ago. Is Tinkerbell that flies down from the castle during the Wishes fireworks real? It's driving me crazy. <laughs> it's a good question, and I've heard this one a lot, and I remember even when I was a cast member, people would ask that question. And even some of the cast members asked that question. And I can assure you that Tinkerbell is a real person. Um, the, per- the lead person who plays Tinkerbell is a um, slightly older woman. Um, she might be in her 60s or so, but she's a, she's a um, fairly a petite woman, and uh, she hooks herself onto the cable up there, and it's at the uh, one of the top spires of the uh, castle, and she goes all the way down on top of where the uh, Tomorrowland uh, noodle station is. And that's where she lands, and she comes off there, and then she goes back backstage again. But I can assure you, it is a real person who does it. She's waving her wand, and she's kind of coming down the, uh, the rope. There are some alternate people who do it, and I understand that at least one of the people who does it is a man, which makes the whole thing kind of funny. It has to be a small man, uh, someone who can fit in the costume and so forth. And they wear the wig, and from a distance, you wouldn't know that the... the uh, Tinkerbell's uh, costume lights up, and she's got the uh, yellow hair, and she's uh, waving the uh, wand. You would never know that it's a man if, if in fact, it is in some cases. But I can assure you it is a real person. I've met the person, uh, the lead person, um, so I I can assure you that that is the case. All right, and then finally, um, it's not so much a question, but really an assessment. I heard from a middle school teacher recently who was saying his class was going to Universal Studios this spring. Uh, When he was asked why it wasn't Disney World, he replied, because Disney is for little kids. Universal is for big kids with all the thrill rides. And I felt the need that I had to say something to that. I I just had to address it. Um, I realize people have opinions and people have different um, feelings and needs. And competition is always a good thing among the parks between Universal and Busch Gardens and Disney World and so forth. But what I think is missing here is the wonder and magic of of all that is Disney. When I was growing up, we used to go to Disney on school trips every year from, like, 6th grade through about, oh, all the way through 12th grade. And it was always uh, the Magic Kingdom, because at the time, uh, when I first started going, there were no other parks. Then ultimately, Epcot came along, and we did Epcot one year. But it really was about something about the magic and wonder of going there. There was a certain thrill to the bus going over behind the Transportation and Ticket Center, getting out, getting on the monorail, and going over to the Magic Kingdom with my friends that really made it exciting. Never mind that they didn't have any great thrill rides. I mean, do you really need them to have a great time? No, because there's a certain magic to it all that sort of just grabs you. And as a young person, it's really kind of fun. Now, he's an adult, and he's thinking about it through his eyes. Oh, I love the thrill rides. Hey, that's great, but think about it from the kids' eyes as well. Yeah, the thrill rides are really fun, and maybe there's more competition, and, you know, the kids need a little more entertainment. But think about it from their eyes going into a park 
where there's a certain mystique to it. There's a magic to it. And they can go in and they can look around and they can go, wow, there's a certain awe to it. You know, from the music to the cast members to the, to the actual things that are going on to the smell of popcorn on the street. It's all just phenomenal. It just really makes for a wonderful experience. And I, those are some of my greatest memories going with my friends when I was like 12 and 13 years old. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And it's just an incredible thing. And, I, you know, I, I hate to lose out on that because some teacher says, well, I don't think, I don't think it's for little kids. It's not. We're adults. I'm an adult. I'm doing a podcast about this. Clearly, I have a certain passion for it, a certain love, a certain feeling for the park, a certain nostalgia in some ways where I enjoy it and I like going in there. And, you know, I would hope that we could have other kids do the same thing and, and hope to grow it the same way. It's just kind of a fun way to look at, at the world. It's a happy place. It's not about thrill rides. It's just about having some fun and enjoying yourself. So I hope that if you're in a situation where you get an opportunity to send your kids somewhere, you don't just squash it because you say Universal is for big kids. Because it's, it's more than that. It's, you know, it, it's much more than that. Universal's fun in its own way, but uh, it's not Disney. It doesn't have that same charm to it. And that's what's missing. And that's one of the things that I really want to make sure that people get a chance to do. And you hear that from me, and you hear that from other people. And you get a sense of what it all fits, how it all fits together. Well, that is it for this week. Um, that's all the questions I have time for now. If you'd care to send me some questions, please feel free to at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to answer them in a future podcast. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. From all of us, thanks for taking a listen to the podcast today. If you're standing, please hold onto the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the show stops completely and the doors open. Ladies and gentlemen, please collect your personal belongings, watch your head and step, and take small children by the hand. As this concludes our journey, we hope that you enjoyed the show and that you drive home safely. Our thanks go to Doug at geekacres.net for his contributions to the show and also to Craig for the original music you hear on the show. You can find Craig's music over at ReverbNation.com slash sound a. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the show, please feel free to contact Dave at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Show notes and links to other great content on the web can be found at disneypodcast.net. Now, I will raise the safety bar, and a podcaster will follow you home. Ha 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 